0: So as we open the Word once more this morning, um, let me just take a, a moment to remind us why we are doing this. We open up the Word of God so that we can understand God's Word to us. We want to live biblically. We want to think biblically. We want to act in a way so that when the day of judgment comes, and it is surely coming, we will stand before God and he will say to us, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There's a much higher likelihood that God is going to say that to us if we understand what his word says and strive to do it. Now, we have the Bible, and we can read the Bible, but we have to rightly discern what the Bible says. Part of my responsibility as your pastor, as I see it, is to expound the Word in such a way that you understand it, and you can apply it, and you can say, how do I approach life? biblically. How do I approach life trying to, as best I can, think like God thinks? I want to be godly. And the way to be godly is to understand how God looks at the world. This is the book that helps us see the world through the eyes of God. That's what we should be trying to do. So what's really important is that we understand the book as it's written. I'm constantly amazed at how the Word of God so complements itself and is so intertwined that it's clearly written by a single mind, the mind of God. And even though many authors contributed to it, there was an overarching spirit of God overseeing the entire thing so that it all comes together. You know, in polite society, you don't discuss religion and politics, Why? Well, because people have very strongly held opinions on their views of religion and their views of politics. And if you want to start talking in polite society about those two things, the odds of you running into some kind of a really big argument are fairly high. So we try to... okay, All right, the Bible... The Bible is writing about one of those two, right? Religion. Of course, the Bible writes about politics too. The Bible speaks to these most controversial of issues. And it speaks to them over the span of 1,500 years. Kings write and fishermen write and... People who are hermits out, who grew up in the wilderness write. And so we have all different kinds of people from very wealthy to very poor to highly educated to folks who don't have any great formal education at all. All of them writing about the most controversial subject out there, religion, in various cultures and languages. And yet the book is seamless. They, they all had the same high view of God, and when we put it all together, come to find out it doesn't matter whether it's David writing from his throne or, or whether it's Peter who was a fisherman, they all serve the same God, and they all give us the same message. This morning in Sunday school, we were going through Romans chapter 13, and those of you who were there in Sunday school just wait, as this sermon begins to unfold, you realize that Paul understood this sermon. And the things that he wrote in Romans chapter 13 directly apply to what Jesus is about to tell us here in Luke chapter 6. What's crucial that we get is context, context, context. You have to realize who Jesus is speaking to Otherwise, the Sermon on the Mount becomes this, who knows what. You can make it say anything you want it to say. This passage starts out with these words. I say to you who hear. So who is Jesus speaking to? He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to people who actually hear him. It's important. Because what he's about to say, he's not talking to the corrupt Roman government. Jesus is not standing in the midst of the Roman Senate, speaking to the Roman senators. Jesus is not speaking this in the temple, talking to the Sanhedrin. Jesus is not talking to a lost and pagan world. This is not an admonition that he's giving to the Roman soldiers. Oh, by the way, before you go out to battle, I just want you all to know that you should love your enemies and turn your other cheek. He's not saying that to the Roman soldiers who need to go out to battle. This is not a message addressed to them. That is a different group of people under a different group of circumstances. The governmental authorities are a different set of people than to whom he is speaking. He's speaking here to his disciples. He knows for a fact that his disciples are about to, shortly, with his soon passing on, which is in just a couple of years, and if you're very old, you know that years don't take very long. It's, they just fly by. In a very short amount of time, his disciples are going to be admonished to go into all the world and preach the gospel. How's that going to go? How are they going to be received? The fact is that almost invariably they are going to be hated. They are going to be vilified. They are going to be spoken ill of. Laws are going to be passed against them. They're going to be in prison. All kinds of terrible things are going to happen to his disciples. And the question is, how are you going to react to that? How are you going to respond when it's you? When you actually get out and you're just trying to preach the gospel, you're just trying to tell people that the forgiveness of God, the reconciliation of God, the compassion of God is available to them, and they hate you. How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to hate them back? Are you going to get mad at them? Are you going to get angry? How exactly what is it you're going to do when you try to preach the gospel to people and they hate you? for it, and ostracize you, and say evil things against you falsely, how are you going to react to that? What, what are you going to say? What are you going to do? Because there's a great tendency to take it personal, to see them not mad at God or not mad at the message, but actually mad at you. How dare they talk to me like that? Uh, that is a really bad response to persecution for your faith. The fact is that as you preach the gospel and as you speak, you need to love those who oppose you. We may not get through the entire passage this morning. We'll see how time goes. But Jesus, in this brief passage, gives at least three fairly radical and, and really difficult ways in which we need to practically love those people who are going to oppose us. In verse 27, he says, love those people who deliberately set out to oppose you. In verse 30, not only do you have to love them, but in verse 30, you actually have to be generous to them. You have to, you have to give to those people who hate you. Hmm. And in verse 31, try to see life from their perspective. Look at their life and do for them as you would like them to do for you. They're not doing for you as you'd like them to do for you. They're doing the exact opposite that you wish they would do. They hate you and speak falsely of you and are making your life miserable with great deliberateness. But you don't get to do that back. We don't get to act like that. We do, this is not how we fight this battle. This is not how this works. We need to love our enemies. We need to love those people who oppose us. We need to love those people who hate us. We need to love one another. This is the radical love of the new covenant. We love each other. This is what Jesus says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this will all men know you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. This is the commandment of Jesus to us. This is is something that is transformative. He says to his disciples in John 15, no longer do I call you slaves. The slave has no idea what his master is doing, but I call you friends. Why? Because everything I've heard from my Father, I make known to you. You didn't choose me. I chose you and appointed you that you would go out and bear fruit. This is my commandment. How do we get fruit? Love one another. This is how you produce fruit. Paul, in Romans chapter 12, will lay out very clearly... Not even 13, just 12. He'll say, look, don't return evil for evil. Respect what is right in the sight of all men, and as much as possible within you, live at peace with all men. Don't ever take your own revenge. Leave room for the wrath of God. It's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. This this will all be good. Don't be overcome with evil. Overcome evil with good. Love doesn't do anything wrong to its neighbor. Therefore, love is the complete fulfillment of the Old Testament law. If we love one another, we will do what the law says. You don't even have to read down through all the commandments. Just act in a loving manner. When we do this, when we act like this, then we see the work of God in our lives. The only way we can do this, by the way, particularly to people who hate us, particularly to people who want to persecute us and make our life difficult, the only way we can do this is as the disciples of Christ. We need to be properly motivated. How can we possibly love people who hate us? Well, we love people who hate us because, because we have the love of God within us. God loves us. This, this is the clear message of the Bible, right? God loves sinners. God loves us. So if God can love us, we can love others and this is what we're called to do now understand that that we speak the whole truth of God the passage previous to this one the verses just before these verses in fact this verse starts with but I say to you well but but what well but the three previous verses which is this but woe to you who are rich for you are receiving your uh, comfort in full Woe to you who are now well fed, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you will mourn and weep. In fact, woe to you when men all speak well of you. For so your fathers used to speak about the false prophets who were before you. He gives three woes. Be careful about being just happy with your circumstances now. Woe to you who are just happy to be happy today and don't care about the things of God. Woe to you who are well fed now and think, well, because my stomach is full and I'm, I'm obviously blessed of God and I'm good and I have to worry about God. Woe to you. Watch out for that. He gives this list of woes and we are, we can preach those and we should. We should speak to the world and say, look, God loves you, but you have to realize if you don't repent, there is a moment coming where you are going to be quite unhappy about your lack of repentance. So this doesn't mean that we don't warn our enemies. This doesn't mean that we don't tell our enemies what's coming or that we don't speak truth to them. We do, but we speak to them not because we hate them, but because we love them. We go to them and we say, look, uh, the wrath of God is coming. And I, I have got to tell you, I, I fear for what is coming your way if you don't repent. I'm not not trying to sit in judgment on you and your immoral lifestyle and your unwillingness to submit to what God clearly says. I'm, I'm not standing in some kind of morally superior position. Apart from the work of the grace of God in my life, I'd be worse than anybody. But I just want you to be aware that the judgment of God will fall eventually. And... I fear for you. I fear for that event and that day. You will stand before God and you will give an account for your life just like I will. And the only way any of us are going to make it, the only way I'm going to make it through that, the only way you could ever make it through that is by pleading the sacrifice of Christ on your behalf. And we preach that to people because we love them. We preach that to wicked people. We preach that to... Obvious, outwardly, immoral, terrible people. We still preach that to them. We still say to them that God can, in fact, forgive you. God can, in fact, redeem you. We have to be able to have the mind of God in order to preach this truth to people. Here's the thing. If someone is your enemy, if someone hates you, If someone is angry at you and you think, well, why would I ever preach the gospel to them? They're never going to get saved. Really? Stop and think for just a second. The only people who get saved are people who are the enemies of God. When God goes out and picks people to be saved, the only people to pick from are from his enemies. We're all the enemies of God. We're born into this world in the wrong kingdom. We're born enemies of God so when we run into the enemies of God when we run into people who don't want to hear the gospel who don't want to hear about God who don't want to hear the truth of God well that's us apart from the work of God so tell them about the love of God anyway tell them that God is willing to forgive them anyway isn't it amazing that that actually manages to work i mean, it to work with us right Here we are. We heard this message. So we have to respond with grace and mercy and compassion, kindness. Because if we're going to win this battle, we win it by winning over our enemies. We win it by turning our enemies into our friends, turning the enemies of God into the disciples of God. That's how it works, that's how God works. That's how this message works. Someone has said, you know, it's, it's often easier to fight for your principles than to actually live by them. Um, we are called to live out our principles. We're called to show the love of God. So, verse 27, this I say to you who hear. That's us, the disciples. And here's what Jesus is going to say. Imperative number one, command number one. I want you to love your enemies. Love your enemies. This, even in the Old Testament, same thing in Exodus 24. If you meet, sorry, Exodus 23, verse 4. If you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey and they're wandering away, you know that he lives over there and down the road, here comes his ox and he's nowhere in sight and that ox is trying to get as far away from that guy as he can um, or his donkey. What well, well, what do you do? <laughs> you you need to catch them and you need to turn them around and you need to bring them back. Even though it's your enemy, you still need to bring them back. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying helpless under its load, go over and help. Help pull them along. We, um, when we lived in New Hampshire, we had a, our, our house and in our backyard. There was an abandoned set of railroad tracks and then another lot and another backyard and this this guy over there he had this he had this dog and somehow the setup was such that this guy's dog sat in his backyard and when the dog barked against the back of his house i mean it was it was like he was in our living room the, it was just this amplification system where this guy's and the dog barked all the time all the time and So the dog would bark, and it would bounce off the back of this guy's house and come over to our house. And so we kindly got a hold of him and said, you probably don't realize this. And, you know, we want to be good neighbors and all, but you should just be aware that, you know, your dog, I mean, this is, I, I don't know what you need to do to fix this time up on the side of the house or something. But this is really, really bad. I mean, your dog barks all the time. And, you know, I I hope if my dog barks, my neighbors will let me know, right? Well, they basically told us to get lost. That's, that was the long and the short of it. They didn't really care what our, their dog was doing. They didn't really care what that had to do with us. And that. Okay, so we gave them twice. We, we said something twice. And then, like, well, I, you know, what, what are you going to do, right? Come home one day. guess it's in our backyard. <laughs> yep, there's their dog. I mean, I know you could tell. You could see the dog, right? I mean, they weren't that far away. You could see the dog. And sure enough, here's their dog in our backyard, loose. Now, you know, I, I caught the dog. The dog's plenty friendly. That wasn't a problem. A nice, nice dog, you know. I could have I called Animal Control. We could have. I could have called them. It was like 2 in the afternoon, you know. Um, I could have called Animal Control and had them take the dog away, and I'm sure it would have cost them who knows how much to get their dog back if they even figured out that animal control had their dog before they put the thing down or something. Or yeah, There were any number of scenarios that we that could have played out there. What did we actually do? Well, we kept the dog and we fed it and gave it some water and waited for him to come home from work. We put the car in the, the dog in the backseat of the car and drove over there and went up and knocked on their front door with the dog on a leash and said, here's your dog. He was out running around in the neighborhood and we figured we'd, we'd take care of him until you got home from work what do you know the dog never barked again that we heard i don't know what they did but they you know the principle applies that if if we would treat others like they would treat us it goes a long way right isn't that what you would want and and so if we take care if you even you can make an enemy of the person what, what what's the end of that To what end is that? What value is it to make an enemy of this person? There's no value in that. They're your neighbor. Love your neighbor. Do good to your neighbor. Take care of your neighbor. Be very careful about starting neighbor wars. Be Be very careful. You have no idea what your neighbor may be capable of. and No one's home 24 hours a day. So be kind to your neighbors. Love your neighbors. This is... This is what we're supposed to Proverbs says, look, don't rejoice when your enemy falls. And don't let your heart be glad when they stumble, lest the Lord actually see it and be displeased and turn his anger away from them. So even when you say, okay, I'm going to let God take care of them. I, those folks, I'll tell you right now, I'm going to pray that God's sick, And God actually takes care of them? Don't. Don't rejoice about that. Don't lest God see you rejoicing and remove his hand from them. Like Romans said, right? And, and it says it in the Old Testament too in Proverbs 25, 21. If your enemy hungers, feed them. If they thirst, give them something to drink. This admonition is how to turn your enemies into your friends. Love your enemies. This is what Jesus says. Love your enemies. And in fact, remember when Jesus is literally hanging on the cross, what is his prayer? What does he say? Father, forgive them. They really don't understand what they're doing. Stephen will make the exact same prayer as they drag him out to stone him. He, he will do the same thing. He'll, as they're throwing the rocks on him, he will fall on his knees and say, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. And I'm glad he prayed that because who was standing there holding the coats as they stoned Stephen? Saul of Tarsus, who, of course, became the Apostle Paul. And you can tell from the writings of Paul, in a number of places, he mentions he killed Christians. I think the stoning of Stephen weighed heavy on Saul of Tarsus. As he saw that Stephen was a righteous man. And if you're trying to do what you think is the righteous thing, and you're actually, it's kind of like, you know, the whole tolerance thing we got going on today, right? In the name of tolerance, you sit down and shut up. You know, it's like, wow, I really feel like I'm getting tolerance here. Um, The response to that is kindness, compassion, love. It's not gonna, we're not gonna win people over if we just get angry. Be careful about getting angry. Be careful about allowing your anger to get the better of you. We don't reflect God's spirit well when we respond in anger. The wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. When we start returning evil for evil and insult for insult, we're really not, we're we're not showing the love of God. Let God show God's wrath. Don't worry, God will do it. In fact, that's the spirit we must adopt as persecution begins to come our way. And by the way, these sermons, I hope it's a long time before you know the persecution really gets hard on us. But it may not be that long before it gets pretty hard on us. Think deeply about these words of Jesus. We may have to apply them Sooner than we think. We adopt this spirit of loving our enemies when we remember God is sovereign. God sits on his throne. We are not good executors of the vengeance of God, nor should we. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. So if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink. Why? Because we are to love our enemies. And the fact of the matter is we're not really good either at determining exactly who's guilty and just how guilty they are. Well, they offended me. Okay, so they offended you. What are you ready to do about that? Ah, oh, we should just, I don't know what, right? We're ready to bring down the lightning, right? The sons of thunder. Should we, should we call down lightning on them, Lord? Ah, uh, what's with you two guys, you know? James and John, the sons of thunder. It's like, I'm uh, really here to bring down lightning. I'm here to preach forgiveness. I'm here to actually preach to them the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the compassion of God. And the fact is you can be reconciled with God. The people who are over here hating God need to hear that forgiveness is available to them. Do they want to hear that? No, probably not. They probably don't want to hear it, but that doesn't alleviate us of the responsibility of saying it to them. We must still preach to them the love of God why because we love them because that's us apart from the work of God it would be us we would hate God we would say terrible things about the people of God we would count the people of God our enemy too apart from the work of God in our lives so so we love them we look at them and say I I know exactly where you're coming from I know how you could think like you think And if it weren't for the love of God, I would think the same way. And I am so thankful that God loves me. So, not only are we to love our enemies, but we're to go beyond that, in verse 27, do good to those who hate you. Really? Yes, really. Do good to them as opportunity arises. If you find their dog in your backyard... Well, you know, no matter what you think and no matter how you feel and no matter how much you'd like to call the animal control officer and have it cost them a couple hundred bucks to get their dog back, you know what? Don't do that. Do good. Do what you'd like someone to do if your dog got loose. If your dog got loose, you'd like someone to take your dog in and feed him and water him and find you and bring your dog back. And Well, Okay. Do good to those who don't treat you well. So what? So what? We're here to show the love of God. Jesus will say in Matthew, the sun rises on the evil and on the good and the rain falls on the just and on the unjust. So just do good. Show the general love of God. In fact, verse 28, he goes on and says, you need to bless those who curse you. What do you mean bless? You you need to pray that God will work in their life. Pray the blessing of God on them. Pray that God will take good care of them. Lord, these folks are miserable. And so many of them clearly are. If you hate God and you live in this world, you're miserable. Your life is not going well. So pray for them. And pray that the blessing of God will fall on them and that they will hear the love of God and be awakened to the message of the love of God and respond positively to it. Because they're the enemy of God now, but they can become the friend of God just as we did. Look at the most unlikely of people out there who you think they'll never get saved. if If you go online and you read about some great person who... Seemingly a marvelous intellect, and they're just so mad at God. You can just, it just pours out. You know what you do for those folks? Pray for them. Pray that some person near them, as a believer, will share the gospel and live it out in front of them in such a way that it just drives them crazy to where they 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 want to repent. Just pray that God will do that. That is a great blessing to them. Don't pray for their, for their demise. Don't, don't pray for God to, to quickly cast them into headlong into hell. Don't worry. If they don't repent, God will. He will. It'll happen. But you know what? What should be for us is prayers of mercy and kindness. And as much as lies within us and as much as we can do good for them and leave it in the hands of God just leave it in the hands of God so bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you that God will bring about their conversion what else is going to work what what other strategy is there you're gonna go out and, and beat them up you know, how dare you mistreat me as a Christian? I'll show you, what, make fists and punch them? I mean, come on, that's a, that, you're never gonna get any converts that way. You're never gonna convince anybody that you understand the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the message of the reconciliation of God. You're never gonna convey that. If, if we just, if we try, you can't preach the gospel to people you hate. And if you convey to people that you hate them, if you convey to people, stand, sit on your moral high horses and look down on all those wicked sinners out there and, and uh, we're going to give the gospel to you, but I know none of you deserve it. you all rotten sinners, you. And uh, I'm glad I certainly deserve it. If that's the spirit with which we approach the world, it's not going to be particularly effective. We need to come to people with humility, with compassion, with kindness, with love. We need to bless people who curse us. It will get their attention. If you have someone who really dislikes you, and you know they dislike you, do something nice for them. Do something unexpectedly nice for them. When the opportunity comes your way to actually do them a favor, do it. Why? Well, because... You're not like them. You love them. You want to show them the love of God. You want to show them that, look, this is the transforming power of the work of God in my life. Let me tell you, left to myself, I would not do this. But because of the power of God, because I know what forgiveness is, I'm willing to extend forgiveness to you. And if you ever want to get people to the place where they're actually willing to hear that message particularly your enemies, you have to be nice to them. You have to be kind to them. It will, like, remove. It, it takes away their, the wall they've got built. It pierces right through it. Or at least it's the only thing that will pierce that wall. So this is the strategy by which we preach the gospel. This is how it works. If we, if we try some other strategy, well, it's not going to be as effective, right? This, these, this is the message of Jesus to his disciples who are about to go out and preach the gospel to a hostile world that doesn't want to hear it. How is that going to go? Bad for them. What are they going to do? Love your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you? Bless those who curse you? Be good to those folks who hate you. That's what you're going to do. That's, that's what's going to work. This, Jesus is laying out for us his strategy on how to most effectively convey the gospel to a lost and dying and hostile world. This is it. Be kind. I, and not that you don't tell them the truth. Tell them the truth. Hell awaits if you don't repent. That's it's not like we don't tell them that. It's not like we have to hide that. It's not like, oh, don't say that. And sure, you can say that. It's fine. I, the fact is that hell does wait for those people who won't repent. But we say it with compassion. We say it as a warning. We say it like, but but you don't have to spend eternity under the wrath of God. God would rather you didn't spend eternity under his wrath. And that's why Jesus died, so that you can experience the forgiveness of God. You can experience the, the love of God, and be reconciled with God. It's not You don't have to be the enemy of God. And we preach the gospel with that spirit. We're all sinners. We acknowledge we're all sinners. We just happen to be people who have heard the message and have come to God to actually get forgiveness. And so can anybody else. We certainly didn't get it because we were better than anybody. We're not better than anybody. We're still not better than anybody. We're still just sinners saved by grace. That's who we are. And the most wicked, vile, rotten, immoral person you can think of, you should pray that God open their eyes and that they get saved. You want to see the kingdom of God prosper? That's how it works. That's that's how God grows his kingdom. He takes his enemies. He turns them into his friends. So pray that God would do that. Let's pray. Lord, we are amazed at the standard that you set for us. Lord, who but you would put forward the idea that we should love our enemies? It's because you loved your enemies. You loved us when we were yet sinners. You died for us. Lord, I pray that that message would truly transform us. That we would meditate on that, that we would continually turn that over such that it turns us into different people. It softens us. It transforms us. It helps us display your love and your kindness and your compassion and your grace to a lost and dying world. Help us to love the world as you do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.